Welcome to That's a Hard No, the podcast about learning to say no and set boundaries to live our best lives. I'm your host, Heather Drago. You may think because of this podcast that I'm a boundary setting expert, but I'm not. I'm an expert at struggling to set boundaries. But you know what? I'm working on it and it is getting easier. Follow along with me as I learn from fellow strugglers and experts so that you too can start saying no without feeling fear, guilt, or FOMO. Today is Joanna Hardis, LISW, a cognitive behavioral therapist and anxiety specialist who focuses her practice on working with adults who have an anxiety disorder or OCD spectrum disorder. You may remember that Joanna joined us earlier this season to discuss anxiety and boundary setting barriers. We'll link to that episode as well, but today we're going to talk about OCD a seriously drilled down microscope on struggling with OCD, signs to look for and how to set healthy boundaries as a person with OCD. Hi, Joanna. Thank you so much for coming back and talking with us again. Hi, Heather. Thank you so much for having me. Our last discussion was so enlightening and fun. I mean, you wouldn't think it'd be fun talking about anxiety, but it was. Um, But I know we just scratched the surface of your expertise. So I really wanted you to come back and talk about OCD. It's something you you hear about, joked about in the culture. Um, and I really feel like I know, at least for myself, like I don't really truly understand what it is. So let's start there. Like, what exactly is OCD? Oh, well, thank you for your interest in this, because I feel like it is something that is so misunderstood. So let's just break it down into its component parts. The O's, which stands for obsessions, mm-hmm. these are intrusive, unwanted, repeated they can be images, they can be thoughts, they can be memories that are incredibly distressing for the person. Mm-hmm. The C, which are the compulsions or rituals, are the behaviors that someone does to alleviate or neutralize the doubt or worry or distress brought on by the obsession. And to qualify for the D, or disorder, it has to cause uh, impairment in your life or your functioning, or you have to be engaging in compulsions for more than an hour a day, I think Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. threshold is. Mm -hmm. So as you're speaking, I'm thinking about, um, I had a mentally ill person in my family who had um, paranoid schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. So I know that there were intrusive thoughts, obsessions, compulsions, related to that, quieting those voices, right? I also know, we talk about this all the time, just people with anxiety, ourselves, just whoever, 
um, we have those intrusive thoughts sometimes and those. So when is it like a quote unquote normal intrusive thoughts or, you know, when when do we start veering into an obsession? Ah, I love this question. I think, and my brain is getting so excited and going so fast because we could <laughs> Take go your time. in so I know. many directions. Yeah. Uh, first, I want to just go back to the the person with paranoid schizophrenia, the mm -hmm. family member. And just to point out that OCD can coexist with lots of different other illnesses. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important that we call that in the field, it can be co comorbidities. Mm. So you can see it among people with schizophrenia. You can see it with generalized anxiety disorder. You can see it with depression. So, and I know we'll talk about generalized anxiety disorder, but mm -hmm. I wanna just specify that this is something that is separate, but that often, is you see with other illnesses. Sometimes you don't though. Mm -hmm. So I wanna make that point. Mm -hmm. The other point that I wanna make is we all have weird thoughts. Right. And distressing thoughts. So we may have thoughts about harm. You know, you're driving over the bridge. This is sort of the classic one. You're driving over the bridge and you have the thought pop in your head. I could drive, you know, I could, I could, veer my car and go over the bridge. Mm -hmm. Most people, if you don't have OCD or vulnerable to it, it's just a thought that kind of passes and you get back to, you know, you get back to what you're doing. Someone who is vulnerable toward OCD or that may struggle has a thought like that that pops up and they say, oh my gosh, why am I having that thought? Mm -hmm. What does it mean? What does it mean about me? I would never want to hurt myself. I would never want to hurt anyone in the car. I would never want to hurt anyone else. And they get really overly engaged with the thought, trying to figure out why they're having the thought, trying to prevent, you know, make sure that they would never do that. So then they're super cautious driving and they're going, you know, extra slowly. These are the rituals that they may start engaging in to relieve the distress about the this this random thought. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think these thoughts are normal, but how we interact with them and if we interact with them is what can differentiate someone with OCD or someone who may become vulnerable. Does that make sense? Yeah. Does someone with OCD have more intrusive thoughts than other people? Not necessarily, no. No. Okay. Mm -mm. It's how the person interacts okay. with the thought. The level of distress and how it kind of consumes them and they're spiraling in it. Sure. Well, an OCD will latch on to whatever you care about. And these thoughts, these obsessions, are always counter to the person's identity or to to how they see themselves. Hmm, so, that's interesting. Yes. So if you are a really religious person, for instance, and you have a thought about 
I don't know, church or religion or something, it's going to be much harder to just let that thought go being a, uh, being a religious person. So chances are you may engage with it more mm -hmm. and it may become more distressing. Why am I having this thought? What does it mean that I'm having this thought? Is this a sign? Mm -hmm. And then in some religious traditions, they believe that if you have a thought, it's as it, it's equivalent to acting on the thought, right? Or it makes it more likely you may act on the thought, which then spikes someone's anxiety even more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a whole Pandora's box. Yes, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, yes, yeah, and I'm sure part of that obsession of, about those thoughts is I'm a bad person for having these thoughts, right? I'm, yes. I'm a sinner or I'm a bad person or I'm a terrible mother or whatever. Yes, you nailed it. Yes. There is a tremendous amount of shame that comes with these thoughts. Mm -hmm. There is a subtype of OCD that's moral scrupulosity, which is the fear of being a bad, immoral, terrible person, mm. more than the average person has. And then if you get the, uh, you know, the, you know, any other, whether it's, you know, religious or any other um, stuff on top of it, you know, a new mom who's experiencing postpartum OCD and they have thoughts about, you know, they could harm this baby. The shame is just tremendous. Right. And do you think that's one of the primary barriers to getting help? Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's, right. And a lot of providers, unfortunately, are not very well versed in OCD. Mm -hmm. So I have had clients go to psychiatrists and say that they're having harm OCD and have be threatened to um, be in, you know, be hospitalized. Right. And they have no intent whatsoever of hurting anybody. They are terrified. This is that's why they're asking for help. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But if the if the provider is not well versed in OCD, or if it's a new clinician that's not well versed in OCD, it can be a it can just be a real mess. Hmm. So it sounds to me like what you're saying is some of this can kind of get me misdiagnosed if a practitioner is not well-versed, as you say. Um, and I'm guessing that there can be some crossover or um, misrecognition. I don't know if that's a word or not. It but sounds between, good. Between OCD and general anxiety disorder. So tell me about where there's overlap and what the difference is. Sure. And I think the comorbidity, which means mm -hmm. the amount of people with OCD that may have generalized anxiety disorder, I think it might be like 30, 35%. I mean, mm, so that's a lot. It is not uncommon for people with OCD to also have generalized anxiety disorder. Now, where it gets tricky is that a lot of people who are diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder actually have OCD and they get misdiagnosed. Mm -hmm. And I think that it, it, it's it, both have worry 
and worrying as a primary behavior. Both have anxiety as a as a primary feeling or a primary emotion. And so I think, and both you can worry about health, you can worry about, you know, both have, you know, you know both for the novice or for someone kind of untrained or for someone who maybe only has 10 minutes for a visit or 15 minutes and you don't get to really get into the a more thorough diagnosis, perhaps you would just lump them under generalized anxiety disorder. Mm-hmm. Now, for those of us who specialize in anxiety disorders, we sort we see them on the on the same spectrum. Now, technically OCD was taken out of the anxiety the anxiety disorder category. But for those of us who treat it, we see it on the same spectrum as generalized anxiety disorder, um, but at opposite ends of the continuum. Mm-hmm. So with generalized anxiety disorder, you know, there is, the pri- a primary characteristic is worry and worrying. And it tends to be about, people will say it's more plausible, common things that people are worried about. You know, so finances, your job, your health, your kids, your relationships, and it's it, it, there has to be physical symptoms that go with it. You have to have a certain number of physical symptoms, and people will describe it as, and I I think I used to have GAD, like a low level buzz of worry all the time, whereas in OCD, it it. You know, it doesn't, you don't have to have the physical symptoms. You have to have the presence of obsessions and compulsions. And you don't have to for generalized anxiety disorder. And with OCD, people, it's often, it's the differences are in degree and content. Mm -hmm. So people will say with OCD, sometimes the, it may be the same issue, but the feared consequence is so, it can be unrealistic. So for instance, someone, you're at work, you give a presentation, and maybe you don't feel so great about the presentation. And the person with GAD may have this like low worry that like people were bored, and maybe you know they uh, they're worried people were bored, and so they may worry about it a little bit. They may ask some colleagues, "Hey, was that boring?" And the colleagues are like, "No, it was fine." And then they may be done with it. Mm-hmm. The person with OCD may think they were bored. That means that I my job is at risk. I could get fired. What if I I can't pay my bills and then I'm homeless and I lose my house? But then and where's the compulsion? What is what is the action then that takes place? Great question. So then it could be a lot of mental rituals. They could go seeking a lot of reassurance. Mm-hmm. However, many of the rituals could be in their head, replaying the the um, the presentation, and and replaying it and doing this post event you know, looking back and replaying and thinking, oh, what did, what, what, did they look at me? Did they look bored? What exactly were the questions? How did they ask it? And it's like, 
in the replay that the more they do it, the more uncertain they get. Mm-hmm. And the fuzzier it gets, but that just feeds the uncertainty. And it like it digs the deeper and deeper hole mm-hmm. of this uncertainty and this possibility. That's not a probability. Right. It's a possibility right. made from all of these, um, you know, just, you know, it's really possible. It's really possibilities that get lumped into their thinking process mm-hmm. and they get further and further away from their five sense awareness. Right. So they're in their heads and they're yes. just kind of yes. spiraling, spiraling, spiraling. And it can, yes. And the rest of the day, they may, they may be scanning how people look at them, how people mm-hmm. treat them, what the email tone is and, and, being vigilant to, okay, well, you know, is this normal? Is this how they typically are? You know, could this be a sign? I mean, it's a lot of vigilance and there's a lot of superstition in OCD. Hmm. So there's lots of talk about signs of things. People use how they feel as evidence, and I put that in air quotes in case people can't see it, (laughs) of of what they think will happen. So they'll say, well, I feel really anxious. So this means that they, they may have been talking about me or this, I feel really, you know, I feel like they didn't have good eye contact at lunch. So they could have been talking about me as I walked by. Mm. That's really interesting. Okay, we're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna dive deeper. Great. That's a Hard No is brought to you by Clever Girl Marketing, my full-service agency specializing in smart, strategic marketing solutions for businesses and nonprofits. Okay, so you're probably wondering, Heather, what's with the podcast about boundaries? Why not marketing? Well, maybe in the future, but for now, it actually does relate. So bear with me here. Smart marketing, strategic marketing, requires knowing what to say no to and why. Businesses and nonprofits get inundated with marketing options and offers every day. We help you cut through all that noise, focus on your specific needs, and develop actionable strategies that are doable and actually make sense. Whether it's websites, SEO, email, social, or traditional channels, we're experienced in all of it. So if you need help figuring out your marketing, visit our website, clevergrowmarketing.com, and get in touch. Hi. My name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing Business Bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Okay, we're back with Joanna Hardis. 
So that's really interesting to me what you said about how a lot of this can be in your head. Um, and so <laughs> this is going to sound really terrible. A lot of my understanding of OCD comes from media, right? So I'm thinking of um, Howie Mandel. He, he's, mm. he mm -hmm. is diagnosed with OCD. And so his behavior is he, you don't touch him. He doesn't like to shake hands. He's always, you know, cleaning and washing and using sanitizer and stuff. And then there's that TV show, Monk, starring Tony Shalhoub, who I love because he's Lebanese and I'm Lebanese. And, oh, um, sure. And, and that show, if you watched it, and I did watch every season, there are some jokes and gags that have to do with OCD. That's part of the premise of the show. But they actually do go into how it crippled him and the struggles he had. And it 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 wasn't just glossed over. It wasn't just a joke. Um but if you didn't really watch it and you just saw the commercials for it or you watched it occasionally, you might think it's just like a gag or a joke. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us hear people just casually say, oh, I have OCD or I'm anal retentive oh. or whatever. And I hate the word anal retentive, but whatever. Um, I'm so OCD. Yeah, I'm I so OCD. And so like... It's interesting to me that you talk about how a lot of the compulsions internal, internalized. People mm -hmm. might not ever see it. So that tells me there's a lot we don't understand. There are a lot of misconceptions about OCD. So tell me kind of like what are common misconceptions and what's reality? Yes. Oh, I love that. Um, and I agree with you that the media, if all anyone knew about OCD was what they saw on the media, it, it, of course, you'd be you'd have a, a misinterpretation of it. Mm -hmm. So I think the biggest one is that um, everybody is a little OCD. I, I hear that. I hear that one a lot. Mm -hmm. And it makes my skin crawl. <laughs> <laughs> well, it kind of diminishes the people who are really suffer or diminish what people are going through who really are severely. Yes. Disabled by it. Yes. I mean, it's it's clinically incorrect and you're absolutely right it minimizes the suffering mm -hmm. that someone who has this illness or is on the you know the spectrum of it experiences cuz it is a debilitating illness and most people suffer in silence mm -hmm. and isolation and are just imprisoned by their shame and their their own internal process and you can't be a little OCD. That doesn't that doesn't exist. You can you can have the traits of the illness and not meet the full criteria and not meet the criteria for the disorder, but we are not all a little bit OCD. Right. So if you have OCD as part of you you said earlier that it impacts your life. It it affects your quality of daily life and everything. So you can't just say I'm a little bit OCD because if you're living your life and you have a job and you're functioning, yeah, you may be a little bit of a perfectionist, but you're not OCD. That's that's a totally different thing. Correct. No, yes. No, correct. I'm thinking about the perfectionist piece because many people who are perfectionists are, I think it, it, that also can debilitate someone's sure. life. Sure. Oh, yes. yeah. We've talked about that. At oh, length. good. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Yes. It, it, yeah, it doesn't. Perfectionism is paralyzing. It can be for yes, a lot of people, so they right. don't even start anything. But OCD sounds very different to me. 
in uh, that not it's, necessarily. It, it, it depends. You know, it depends. It depends. So I have people. You know, so I have seen people that you know they may recheck. You know, so where the perfectionism. So if someone has perfectionism as like a personality trait, and they have to send an email, and they are checking that email. You know. I, you know, over and over and over and, you know, upwards, you know, multiple, multiple times. And their fear is, well, if it has an error, I could lose my job and then I'm homeless and on the streets. And my whole job depends on this email. You know, that can be quite debilitating, especially if you have a full-time job. And I've, I have, you know, I've treated, I have someone on my caseload now who, that is part of her OCD. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a little bit like that. I I I will edit, write, edit, reread, edit, <laughs> send the email, and then I'll check it an hour later to reread it again to make sure I did okay. And I've had to learn to be like, okay, you get a certain number of edits. You sure, get certain, yeah. You know, like, stop being a perfectionist, you know. But it sounds to me like OCD is when it's like those intrusive mental thoughts of, I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to be homeless. It, that's when it veers into... It depends. Right. It dep- I mean, I think it depends. It would be... It depends on the degree to which it impacts your life and functioning mm-hmm. And are there other things that would that would that would indicate someone is struggling with an obsessive compulsive process? Mm-hmm. I mean, if I mean the same person cannot, re- you know, it impacts her ability to read stuff because she has to reread everything. Mm-hmm. It impacts her ability. This, you know, the checking. So she ends up checking the phone, the locks. I mean, mm. so it is not just isolated to this one thing right right so she's double checking triple checking every single thing in her life uh i wish it was just triple checking but yes yes but so it is what is the feared consequence that may be different Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but i think it's also looking at the entire context of a person but it is not uncommon to see perfectionism which is a you know which we see so much in anxiety disorders with OCD. Mm, okay, so they kind of play with each other a bit. It's, and... Yes, <laughs> yes. What are some other misconceptions? Uh, um, a big misconception, which you touched on with the monk, um, is that compulsions are all that you have to seek. That you have to see the compulsion. Mm-hmm. And I think this is what trips a lot of people with OCD up because they think that, well, maybe I don't have OCD because I'm not hand washing Mm -hmm. or because I'm not organizing my pantry or something. And so they start to question whether or not that they have OCD. So I think it's really important to broaden people's understanding that OCD is much more than um, the the rituals of hand, washing or checking. And met most, I've never met anybody with behavioral rituals who doesn't also engage in mental rituals. Okay. So OCD is, it could be about anything 
that you're uh, that you latch on to. So it's not a most people who are worried about getting sick and therefore, you know, wash their hands, it may not just be about getting sick, it may be about also not getting everyone they love sick mm -hmm. because they're worried then they could kill people they love. Mm -hmm because the consequence can sometimes be unrealistic. So I don't know if this falls under misconceptions, but in general, do people with OCD develop it because of some sort of trauma? Or is this something that anybody could develop depending on what's happening in their life? Is there is there like a, a cause and effect kind of? Yeah, it's a great question. And I don't know that I have, it's a more complicated answer. So 25, they, you know, roughly 25% of the risk is inherited. Mm. So like any biologically based illness, you know, the inheritance, the peace, these are inheritable diseases, these are heritable illnesses. And then a lot is modeling, environment, learning so it it is not uncommon for children and and by no means do i blame parents right i mean i have obsessive compulsive traits and i you know i who knows where in my family's genetics do it came from but it is not uncommon for children who grow up in in families where a parent may be struggling that the children hears a lot about safety hears a lot about illness, you know, grows up in a very protective environment and sees a lot of these behaviors. And I am not blaming parents at all, right. but this is what happens. So it's really hard to tease apart. And I want to point out, so sure, trauma could certainly... Um, be a factor, but I want to point out that the compulsions have a functional purpose. They work. In the short term, a compulsion does take away the distress or the uncertainty. Right. So, you know, if, if someone experiences a trauma, it's probably more complicated that they're experiencing a trauma, so they're experiencing high levels of distress, lots of intense emotions, so they start to engage in some kind of behavior that they learn relieves or neutralizes the distress. Mm -hmm. And then if it works, their brain creates that association, and then they may be more prone to continue engaging in that behavior. Mm -hmm. And so that's how that ritual may start. Got it. And if they have the genetic piece for it, it you know, that's how they that could, I'm not saying it's going to, but that's how it could happen. Wow. That's a lot. <laughs> that is a lot. It's it's the whole stew of life and growing and experiences and yeah. I guess the other big misconception is that it's funny or quirky or they're just a goofy, absent-minded professor type person who has their... It's not fun for these people, right? They, these people no. are suffering. They are suffering. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. And they are, they are suffering and so worried, so profoundly 
worried about, you know, hurting anybody. Right. It takes a lot of energy, I would think. So much time and energy, yes. Yeah, yeah. If you suspect suspect someone someone is struggling or or might have some OCD tendencies or even generalized anxiety or, or is like in need of more serious care how do you start that conversation or or where should they turn or you know sure or i guess even yourself if you think you you're, you have ocd too I sure guess. i mean i think for purposes of this conversation because i'm not you know i think there are some good social media accounts but for purposes of this conversation i would direct people to the iocdf mm-hmm. because that's evidence-based experts and they you know you're getting off to a good start by going there okay and i think if you have concerns about someone that's a tr- that it's a more nuanced answer because it's sort of it depends how well do you know the person yeah how do you bring it up i mean that's a that can be a trickier mm-hmm. i mean if you know them well enough and you say you know I, i'm learning more about this I, you know i wonder if if this is something i mean it's just it's a harder conversation because it's a conversation about about mental health and and some people will take it well but mm-hmm. some people you know they don't take it well it depends on how intimate or vulnerable your relationship is with someone i would think yes exactly yeah, yeah. right our website's all about boundaries so let's let's wrap this up with sure. you know if you're in treatment for OCD uh-huh. or you're struggling with OCD and you're trying to work through whatever plan you have with your therapist or whatever what kind of boundaries can you should you might you set up for yourself with others to i don't know make yourself make your life easier or i don't know what tell me about boundaries and OCD sure it's an interesting question um because i uh, i mean Treatment for OCD is often one of the hardest things people do. People will say to me, it's one of the hardest things I've ever done and one of the oh, most yeah. rewarding. I can imagine it's stressful if you're doing that. You know, you're, you're, you were talking about exposure and getting from, I mean, I would think you're putting yourself in really difficult situations and feeling right. those feelings purposely and... Yeah. Right. Yeah, and tough. so oftentimes they have to put boundaries on, for instance, Google. <laughs> oh my gosh. So uh, the amount of, so many. Don't go on, what is it, med.com or what WebMD. 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 Don't go on WebMD. <laughs> so, I mean, I can think of people with health anxiety. I, They have to set a hard no for Google mm-hmm. and for Googling symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, they may have to set hard nose about when and how they use social media. Because mm-hmm. it de- if the function of them going to social media or to Google is to try to neutralize some distress they're feeling, then they're gonna really, you know, that's gonna be a target of intervention. If they may have to set very firm boundaries about their use of reassurance seeking, mm-hmm. these are really hard things. I mean, I look at 
even my friend's use of the phone and social media oh, yeah. and it's excessive. So the work that my clients do, it's impressive. Yeah. They have, at the end of their treatment, they have such great mental fitness. It's impressive because they are, I mean, it is impressive the mental fitness that they have. But, you know, so some of those boundaries are with reassurance seeking mm -hmm. or providing because mm -hmm. they may provide it for their children too. Mm -hmm. um, certainly with Google, certainly with social media, and it may be with whatever they're struggling with. They have to set a lot of firm boundaries with themselves about are you know they get to that choice point are they going to engage in the behavior that they know in the short term will provide relief or are they not and they're going to go for that long-term recovery mm -hmm. and tolerate and move through that distress so it sounds to me like boundaries are part of the discussion when you were making a treatment plan it is we don't you know i don't know, know that i necessarily um use it in that way but yes mm -hmm. yeah sure yeah yeah i can see why you'd want to kind of limit the googling for sure 100 when when yeah we've had cancer in my family when i had it my grandmother had it like the first thing the doctor say is don't go on webmd do not look this up yes <laughs> You know, I went to the gathering place here, which is a support group. Oh, yes. Sure. And and uh, they were like, don't Google it. <laughs> we will tell you whatever you need to know. Exactly. We have a library here. Um, and because it just, you just spiral, spiral, spiral. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And social right. media, I can see so many different ways that it could be harmful. Mm -hmm. um, it's harmful to everybody. I agree. Right. <laughs> and already I can see if someone is really struggling with something, it could be very vulnerable. So. Right. Wow. Um, well, Joanna, this has been great. Thank I know this you is kind so of much. a heavy topic, but I feel like it's just something that, you know, it's so pervasive, this like joke about OCD. And I, it just bothers me that I know there are people suffering and it, it's not a joke for them. And so I just felt like it was an important topic. And since you're the expert, it was great to have you on. Oh, thank you so much. And there is good treatment. There is. Yeah, it sounds like there it. There is good treatment. You just have to make sure that you're in evidence-based treatment. With a specialist. With a specialist. Who knows what they're doing. Correct. Yeah, yeah, great. Well, thank you so much. We love having you on. Oh, thank you. You're always welcome back anytime you want to talk about something. And, thank you. Uh, listeners, I hope this was helpful to you. And uh, let us know if there are any other mental health uh, questions you have or related to OCD. And we can pass those questions along to Joanne. Thank you. Got questions or a boundary setting success story or flop? It's easy to get in touch with us. Send an email through our website, hardnopodcast.com, DM us on social, we're at hardnopodcast, or leave a message at 216-370-3410. We'll be featuring some of our favorite questions and messages in future mailbag episodes. So get in touch. You can find show notes and a transcript of today's episode on our website, hardnopodcast.com. Make sure to like and subscribe on your favorite listening platform so you don't miss any new episodes. And if you liked what you heard, please give us a rating and review, especially on Apple, so others can find us too. That's a Hard No is a production of Clever Girl Marketing, my strategic marketing agency based here in beautiful Cleveland, Ohio. You can learn all about us at clevergirlmarketing.com. 
It's written by me, Heather Drago, and our amazing marketing and production coordinator, Mara Del Rosario. Production support, Evergreen Podcast, Noah Fouts, producer and editor extraordinaire. Our awesome new rock anthem was written by Noah and performed by his band, The Big Leagues. I love it so much. Thank you, Noah. Shout out to Jake Donnelly, the videographer and photographer who's the creative force behind our YouTube videos. You demand, Jake. You can find him at rjdonnelly.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. And remember, saying no isn't just okay. Saying no is the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. So do it. Find your no, then say it unapologetically. Welcome to the Bravery Academy. My name is Emma Ferris and I'm your host. This podcast is crafted to share the stories of courageous individuals who have overcome adversity and found the courage to live their best lives. We'll explore the science of well-being, courage and connection and interview top thought leaders, game changers and survivors. And it's from these stories that we learn what resilience is, how to heal, how to recover and how to be brave.